thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 103. Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you have a spiritual father? Have you had like a, a really great mentor in your life? You know, in my case, uh, I've had good spiritual examples, and I've had I've God has given me some some father figures, some strong strong men who are father figures for me. And uh, but I never really had the mentor that I wanted in terms of ministry. You know, the one to um, I don't know, just teach me how to navigate life in service to other people because I want to do a good job with that. And, um, and I want to pour myself into it, but I also want to succeed at it. I want things to go well. And there are some, you know, there's some occupational hazards to a caregiver's life when you take care of other people. You know, now you're talking about people, and people have issues, and stuff can, come, you know, can happen. So anyway, I just always wished I'd, I'd had a little bit more. In that, and that's what made me determined, even as a, a young man, to be that for others to the best of my ability. My dad was a great father for me, is still a great father for me. We have a good relationship, and uh, he's a strength in my life. And that's, that's what this episode is about. It's about Paul and Barnabas and their fatherly ministry in the churches. You know, up to this point, we've been talking about them as church planners and pioneers and tough guys who could go do public uh, engagement, you know, go stand in a public place and start talking to people that walk by and try to gather a crowd, and, and they can take getting beat up for the ministry. You know, they're pretty amazing. But there's two sides of that ministry. Uh, they weren't just the rough-and-ready type. Some people in the kingdom have a God-given authority, and it's kind of like a father or it might be like a mother. I've had some great spiritual mothers, too. Um, I think especially of Sister Mavis Reed in Jamaica, and you know, she became a spiritual mother not just to me but to my parents as well, you know, just a godly woman and a strong woman, uh, but a woman full of grace. So thank God for the people that He puts in the kingdom to do that, and, you know, their life gives power to their teaching, and they've got this encouragement, strength about them. They just pour energy into other people, uh, especially next-generation leaders, and they encourage them. They keep them going, and Paul and Barnabas had this gift, and they lived out this ministry. You know, we've already seen that they were great at startups, and they were great at that bold, initial, groundbreaking uh, work that you have to do if you want to establish or plant anything. But Paul and Barnabas also radiated a confidence, a certainty, and a spiritual authority that just made others feel secure. And they had a track record of passing ministry on to other people. They, would, uh, they believed that God had enabled them, and I think this is true. He had enabled them to impart spiritual gifts and spiritual authority to other people. And they would lay hands on these people publicly, and they would, they would confer upon them, you know, th th this is how I take laying hands on people. I think it means that whatever God has given to me, I can give to other people. 
what I don't have, I can't give. But there are gifts that he's given me, and there is encouragement he's given me, and there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, God has filled me up with so many good things. And I believe that the Holy Spirit gives me the authority to give those things to other people that I believe would use them and need them. And that's what Paul and Barnabas did. And God bore witness to that uh, because he did release gifts in the new leaders at the moment they laid hands on them. Paul talks to Timothy and he said, you know where you got your gift? I laid hands on you. I remember the moment when it came into you. Well, we're in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 28. Acts chapter 14, 21 through 28. Uh, you know, they, they have just finished this very exhausting church planting, uh, crowd engaging tour. And they get to the end of the line, and then they rest for a bit. And then Paul says, okay, let's reverse and go back. And so now they start going back to all these places where they, and you know, they left every one of these towns uh, under a firestorm of, I mean, physical conflict, people wanting to kill them and beat them and jail them. And they go right back to those same towns now. But this time it's different. They're not going there for public ministry. They don't intend to, you know, antagonize any more resistance because they they have established what they came there to establish. There is a growing church. There's a living body of Christ in that town. It's like the mustard seed that has been sown. And once it's sown, it will keep growing. Now, what this trip is about was for strengthening the young churches because a church is a spiritual community. It's not a building, and Christians didn't have buildings for 300 years. Now think about that for a minute. 300 years. It's not uh, they had a 10-year setback. They couldn't find a building. I've been through that. When we pastored in Manila, we had 10 years basically without a building. We worshiped every Sunday in a movie theater uh, in between movie shows. And we grew, we grew beautifully there. Uh, the New Testament church had no buildings for 300 years. No one ever said, oh, it's the church down the street. You know, you'll see it on the hill. You couldn't say that because Christians were a persecuted people in many places. And they just met in homes. They met quietly. They met in the woods. They met, you know, wherever there was a place. But they didn't build a thing called a church. What they were was the ecclesia. That's what the New Testament word is. And ecclesia simply means that God stood and called out, you know, come to me. And a lot of people ignored that completely, and a lot of people ran away from that. But some people came to it because they wanted to come to God. They wanted to be near Him. They wanted to, to know Him as a person. And when those people all came to God... Then having come to God, that's what holds us together, we look to the right and the left, and we realize we're not the only people there. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, my Father, which art in heaven. It's our Father, because I'm not the only one. You know, I'm not God's only child, and I'm not the only one that's seeking uh, to walk with Him. And so uh, they become the ecclesia. And so Paul and Barnabas now go... Verse 22 says, they went back to these cities to strengthen the souls, you know. And there's a certain kind of strengthening in the soul. The soul is 
is the part of you that's listening to me right now. You've got a body, you have ears, that's what allows you to hear this, but it's your soul that takes it in. It's your soul that has all your feelings about life and your dreams and your hopes, and it's your soul that God uses to give revelation to, and it's your soul. You live out of your soul, and it it gives you the strength to live, and they exhort them. The Scripture says in verse 22, of Acts chapter 14, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were exhorting them. To exhort means to remind you of something you already know. They were exhorting them to continue in the faith. They were saying, so they kept saying this over and over in every town, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is uh, not a place for wimps. The kingdom of God is a thing that Jesus said you have to bear down and push into. You have to almost be violent and take it by force. It's not a physical place, but it's real. It's real. It's invisible right now, just like the wind is invisible. The wind is not imaginary, like I said in the last episode. The wind is very much real. I mean, we get energy from the wind. We get electricity from the wind. You can see the effect of the wind. I'm looking outside right now, watching the palm tree outside my window move around. There's wind moving it. I can't see the wind, but I see the effect. The kingdom of God, you cannot see, but you can see the effect. When the kingdom enters a family, you see it. When the kingdom enters the life of a drunkard or someone that's got a really wasted lifestyle, you'll see. If the kingdom is there... If they've really entered into the kingdom and the king has entered them with a new spirit and put his spirit inside their heart, you see what happens when the kingdom comes. And so Paul and Barnabas say, this is not just about prosperity. This is not just about God answering every single prayer every way you want so you get what you want for your life. It's his kingdom. We don't pray my kingdom come. We pray thy kingdom come. And Paul says, getting into this kingdom, finding your place in the kingdom is something you do through tribulation, through uh, squeezing is what the word means. You squeeze like the camel through the eye of a needle. You force with energy and you push forward Uh, because this young church was going to have to suffer. And all these Christians had to get it in their mind that this is not the glory road yet. That they're going to walk with God. And just like when Paul got beaten to death, he went to the third heaven and experienced great revelation. So God is going to be with us in our darkest moments, but we are going to have to stand up against a dark world, and it is going to fight back. And, you know, there's a whole thing about our experience. I learned in the first year of my marriage, Sherry and I heard it from somebody, and it sure went into us, and that is that we had to get our expectation right. Because if we expected, you know, level nine service from each other, and we just thought that every day, you know, the other one was going to wake us up with a tray of food and say, oh, darling, wake up to your next wonderful day. You know, if we expected that and then we didn't get it, we were going to, our emotions were going to be down toward each other. But if, you know, if we expected a whole lot less, then whatever we got was going to be a a great, you know, we were going to be excited about that. So, uh, you know, there's been places I've served in the kingdom 
where I just had to get it in my mind, you know, I'm going to get roughed up today. People are probably, and I'm not pessimistic, but it's just the way it was. You know, I cannot expect anybody here to be nice to me today. Nobody owes me a smile. I'm going to have to go out into this world that's messed up, and I'm going to be the change agent. And, you know, I was always pleasantly surprised when somebody would minister to me that day. It was like, wow, big bonus. So I think it's important not to set people's expectations in the wrong place when they enter the kingdom of God. You need to talk to them about spiritual conflict pretty early. And so, you know, first we taste and see that the Lord is good and we're crying and laughing and praying and speaking in tongues and worshiping and we love this Christian thing and we love our new brothers and, you know, these are all new converts. And they're, but they're about to have to face their families and they're going to... i tell you where the, where the rub happens because I live in this kind of culture. When uh, the whole family has religious rituals that they believe they have to do to keep bad luck away, and they have to bow before these statues and make offerings and do things like that. And when one family member refuses to do it, uh, not only is it an insult to them, and not only are they offended that you're breaking tradition, they are scared that you're going to create a breach and the gods are going to be mad because they're not all doing it. And, you know, there's a self part in persecution and they cannot tolerate that there's anybody in their family circle that won't keep doing this idol worship with them. So if you're going to stand against that, you're going to have to get strong. You may get kicked out of your family. You may, you may go through some really hard times, and it's important to get the mental toughness that these young people needed if they were going to serve God in an anti-Christ age. And so Paul and Barnabas were faithful to their ministry, and they, um, they hardened them against fear. They enrolled them as agents of change. They helped them to see themselves differently. It's not that, oh, now I get to have the, my best life every single day, and God's going to bless me and prosper me and good things. And they said, you're, you're going to be amazed at all the good things God's going to do for you. It's going to be remarkable, your change of life. But the most beautiful thing is you're going to be in fellowship finally. You're going to be in fellowship with your Creator, and you're going to walk with God and he's going to use you as a servant to change other people. And they, uh, they prepared their mind to expect and to endure hardship. And they reset their expectation and their experience. You know, victory only comes through battle. If, you're not, if you want to live the life of victory, well, you have to do some battles because that's what victory means. I fought and I won in the end. And so, yes, we will have victory. But a lot of people think victory means no fights, and that isn't victory at all. Triumph only comes after trials. And, uh, you know, it's a very, well, one writer said it's a very weak view of the truth of the kingdom that pretends otherwise. You know, we don't, on the other hand, we're not going to surrender to negative things, and, and we just crumble under every little thing that happens to us, and we run and hide. We're overcomers. But the Bible teaches very clearly that suffering and all these human difficulties that we go through, all, especially in the name of the Lord and for the kingdom, you know, that is a, it's a part of the Christian walk. And, but you have the presence of the king, and you are in the kingdom, and you have all the resources of the kingdom of God to help you through these times. So there may be, you may be listening to me today. And you're going through a time like that. And you know, people listen even in uh, closed uh, Muslim countries to this podcast. And God bless you. 
and uh, anoint you and give you strength to endure. And not just to endure, but to make a difference. Because, you know, you can run and hide and you will survive, but you could make a difference while you're there too, and God will use your life for that. And that's why He has you in that environment. In every persecution scenario, there are hungry people, there are searching people, and there's, a, there's an opportunity um, to get that overcomer's mindset. And, you know, if you ever get it, because, you know, in the Old Testament, the big word was deliverance. You got yourself in trouble. And wow, when I lived in Jamaica, they loved to preach deliverance. This was like every Sunday. They didn't know what was, what was going to be preached. And someone said, I'll preach. I already knew what they were going to do. They're going to the Moses and the children of Israel, and they're at the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army's behind you. And it is. That's a wonderful story. But you know the word deliverance is almost absent from the New Testament? That's kind of amazing. Uh, the Old Testament, wow, that word is everywhere. You get in trouble, you fall on your knees, you cry and shout for God, please help me, please help me, we're sorry for what we did. And the Lord comes and delivers you. And David writes about it in the Psalms. But in the New Testament, you'll hardly ever see that word. There's a new word. It's a higher word. It's called overcomer. And you still get in a mess and you still have problems and you still have enemies all around and you take up the shield of faith and you put on the whole armor of God and you take a deep breath and the Holy Spirit, which this is a new experience because we've been cleansed and made right with God by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit fills us up and gives us strength and fight and armor and we get supernatural authority and power and grace to fight, and grace to die. And we approach our traumas differently in the New Testament order because the kingdom of God is not coming. It is here. It's growing larger. One day the invisible kingdom will be a visible kingdom, but it's here and it's real, and you can live in it, and you, my friend, can be an overcomer. So they preached that, and verse 23 says, They went and they appointed elders in every church. Notice they did not elect elders in every church. They appointed them. They were the church planners. They were the spiritual fathers. And as they looked across the congregation, they could spot the people that had the, um, the, uh, the maturity to be a father to other people. I have, I have tried to... Uh, help people into these roles and teach them to be a spiritual father and teach them to be a spiritual guide, and it has failed every time. What you have to do is you look at the congregation and you see who's already like that. There's already people in the congregation that everybody runs to and everybody looks to them, and you just have to convince those people to get past their fears and that they are the one God has already chosen to be a spiritual elder in the lives of others. Elder doesn't mean you know everything. It just means you're farther along. Elder, it's comparative, uh, not superlative. So they appointed them. And uh, they did not appoint solo power figures in churches. They appointed elders. They, uh, you know, a small circle. Christian churches weren't very large, but they appointed small circles of leaders. And they said, okay, you guys... Just be the circle, you know, be the strength here and share speaking and whoever's the best and the most anointed at every different part. You do that part the most, but you guys can work it out. But you need, uh, you need people to cover your back and you don't need the, the thought that I'm the only one in charge of this group. It's important to share the load and um, you know, spiritual leadership. Uh, it's natural that there will be one leader stronger than the others, and I think God is behind that too. Uh, 
But I think it's important for that leader and the others to understand that you know Jesus had his 12 and he had his three super leaders, uh, and he was the senior leader, but he was there to build them up. He wanted every one of them to do everything he did. Uh, and so they did. They, then they prayed. Verse 23 said they prayed and brought the church to prayer and fasting. So they taught them to get serious about their spiritual life because they needed, you know, they needed their own revelations now. Uh, Paul wasn't going to be there to preach to them every Sunday. Barnabas wasn't going to be there to share God's Word. They were going to have to get it from each other, and they needed to tap into the same Holy Spirit that gave the words to Paul and Barnabas. And so they did that in every town, and they preached their way, verse 24 and 25, they preached their way all the way back home until verse 26. They came back to their home base and, you know, if you're going to be a church planner, uh, let me tell you this. You need a strong home base, and you need some accountability for your ministry. They came back to this home base, and this was these were the people that supported them financially. They prayed for them. They stayed behind them. They came back to these people, and they told them about what God had done, and they all celebrated, verse 27, together, um, that God was opening the door, had already done it, and Gentiles were growing in faith. And everybody celebrated this together because, you know, it's a partnership. Uh, going and sending, it's two different works. And God has anointed some to go and some to send, uh, but it's all one teamwork. So they come together, they ponder what God is doing, and they celebrate what God has done for Gentiles, and they keep themselves integrated into a local body of Christ. Uh, and they, this one, you know, a good thing about this, when missionaries come home and stay in the church that is their primary church, they bring that missionary mm, flavor with them, the zeal, the outreach, the you know, because churches will fall into nothing but um, maintenance. Give them time, and they'll think of all kinds of busy stuff to do, and they'll suck out all the energy and the time, but all of it is for themselves, and it's just get together, be together, be together, come together and have a Bible study, come together and pray, come together and have church, come together and sing. They don't go out. And it takes a missionary-minded person to say, okay, that's good, but that's not the whole thing. Let's, let's give, you know, let's try to give at least 25% of our energy to outreach. I'll show you how. And uh, you know, missionary kind of people are good for local churches. If you don't have one, you need to find you a missionary. And, uh, but the kind of missionary that's really doing the sort of work that you want to see done and it's a partnership. Let them come home and feed your people because they bring them good food. Okay, well, this week's discussion on the website is what kind of spiritual guide do you want? You know, if you could ask for a mentor, if you could have somebody to give you some help, what kind of help do you want? You know, I don't want somebody calling me every day going, you know, who are you? I mean, where are you and what are you doing? I don't need that. But I do need somebody I can go to. I need somebody that's, that's strength for me, and I need a source of wisdom when I run into problems that I can call somebody and say, what do you think about this? So uh, you give me your feedback. What kind of guidance do you need? Okay. Uh, and let me ask you to do a couple more things. First of all, uh, on the Quinley.com website, I've got this button there. And if you just push the button, it'll record your message. And I'd like you to record some questions. I'd like to start having a question and answer session at the end of the podcast. So if you'll call on the on the you just go to the website, you'll see it. It's a tab on the right side there. Uh, just push the button there, record your message, it emails it to us, and then we will include some of those 
in the future versions of the podcast. Also, if this is a blessing to you, please go to quinley.com slash iTunes. Give us a rating and a comment on iTunes and go to quinley.com slash love and give us some love on Facebook. Let your friends know you listen to the Thread Podcast and show them how they can get it just by visiting quinley.com. And from there, they can get to the iTunes feed and Stitcher and all the others. All right. Uh, thanks again. And thank you for supporting us for 103 episodes of this podcast. God bless you. If you want to write me, chuck at quinley.com. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next time on the next edition of the Thread Podcast. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to quinley.com. Thread.